1: Hey everyone, it's Craig And Katya. And you know what we want to tell them about? Hawaii 5 is having a sale on pilgrim hats. That's right. And pumpernickel. <laughs> pumpernickel bread is so underrated. That's why I choose rye. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like to go check out my options on Patreon.com slash Katya and Craig. That's where
0: all the relevant tea is spilled, as Ooh. it were. And Not to mention certain facts that can be
1: used as receipts upon dragging a person, tearing off their
0: wig, mm-hmm. um, going off, snapping.
1: Snatching. Snatching. Absolutely. Spalding. Oh, Spalding yeah.
0: gray her. (laughs) Drag her. Monologue her. Diane her.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Ellen barking her to death hunky. Barbara Hershey. Oh, who Hershey? Who was she? Damn. Find out all Mm. that and more on patreon.com slash CotchenCrick. Because what what do we have there? We got the bonus episodes? We got bonus episodes. We got uh, got extra episodes. We got exclusive episodes. We got firewall, uh, pay-through, non-standard secret episodes.
0: We got movie clubs. We got got anti-movie clubs we've yep. got uh fish and chips we got haggis we got uh deals and a uh, deal or no deals and we got uh howie mandel's ocd uh pay-per-view comedy hour
1: that's right absolutely all that and more plus listen to questions so listen go there at patreon.com slash and craig and enjoy yourself so listen why don't we get into the episode now a russian ballerina stopping out a bureaucrat a perky suburban housewife
0: who just got into scats give It's whimsically volatile.
1: How's your headphone level?
0: Oh, I've never had any complaints.
1: <laughs> you know, I got to ask Miss Fame. Yes, has your headphones right and it just sailed on by but, but then a couple of listeners did uh pluck that out and they said oh he's like very cheeky very yeah, cheeky yeah. <laughs> and um that's something
0: that we say on the set of drag race all the time and there's certain like rupaulisms that yeah. we just uh become initiated into and we just say in commonplace lingo yeah and then i'll be on the set of another show that's not and I'm, <laughs> like i'm doing one for abc family right now and yeah. they're like how's your esophagus? Cause I had like a, like a, some kind of like throat thing uh-huh. and I was like, never had any complaints. And they're like, what? <laughs> um, so they don't always work when the, when the audience isn't
1: prepared for that kind of humor. True. And sometimes we can forget that because we're so, uh, I mean, especially, you know, you're working on drag race. You're right. so... I'm so saturated with that culture.
0: yeah, And I just think that that's, you know, that everybody's on the same page on the same page as yeah. they should be but sometimes right. they aren't
1: right it's like recently we were talking in the hallway on the way in about murder she wrote and like right. and i'm deep in the throes of the obsession so oh it's so yeah. good I, yeah. I just i love um have you watched me tv uh I sometimes yeah i currently don't have a regular cable just right. a fire stick so see
0: i have that because yeah. i'm like an old woman and um <laughs> in my like nighttime obsession like if i'm home like yeah. my house house is you know watching the carol burnett show and perry mason and murder she wrote absolutely Uh, because the clothes and the set design and uh like you said the guest stars like uh, you'll just be like oh my god that's charlotte ray (laughs) what is she doing off of the campus at eastland yeah and she's Um, a
1: murderer this time
0: she's a murderer she's like a a (laughs) a, a vengeful accountant and it's just so strange to see them (laughs) these iconic people not in their iconic shoes
1: yeah and it was so prevalent back then like you wouldn't get that. Now, on the SVU, it would be, they they had, like, for instance, Jerry Lewis or other major stars, but it's like a big event that they promote. It wouldn't just be, like you said, the accountant with uh, something to hire. No, no, it
0: has to be. It has to be almost like stunt casting now. Right. And in the 70s and the 80s, I feel like if you were a working actor in Hollywood, (laughs) there was just, you know, your agent Morty would call up and say, Charlotte, I got this role on Murder,
1: she wrote. Do you want to play it? I was trying to remember what reading about the salaries for guest stars back then. Right, I wonder what it was. Though there was a lot of money back in those days, right? Probably much
0: more than now, and and um, residuals as well. Right, and I just feel like um, I feel like in the seventies and eighties there were like seventy four (laughs) celebrity guest stars. Yeah, that's right. And now, like if I do like some, you know, I'm the random celebrity guest (laughs) sometime, and it's like me and like somebody from Vanderpump Rules. I'm like, there's thousands of us now. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's funny. Some of the folks from Vanderpump Rules used to live in this building. until like a couple months ago, oh, yeah, they did? I used to do a podcast about Vanderpump Rules. Did you? Yeah, that was for when I first moved to LA. Like the a week into being here, I started doing that. I haven't
0: ever. I've 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 accidentally been in some Vanderpump Rules. Like I did something oh, sure. with Lisa, like a volunteer day. Yeah, where I was at Project Angel Food here in LA. Making some meals and like, oh, Lisa's coming today. I'm like, oh, great! And then it was like the full on, like you know, <laughs> Three production cameras thing. And and I was the... like, I didn't know I was going to be in Vanderpump Rules.
1: <laughs> would you, of course, have gone for the opportunity of playing the murderer or shady accountant? Yeah,
0: I would have loved to have been. I wish we could like go back in time. I know. Yeah. And you know, I, I always think that I would be like the Charles Nelson Riley, and I would be on <laughs> Password, and I would be on the Love Boat. Yeah. I wouldn't be gay because well, okay. we probably wouldn't like probably wouldn't have been like you know, Costin. Just keep it under wraps. Right. And, Are you kidding me?
1: Hello. Have you seen, looked? You could play the eccentric uncle. Yeah, I could play
0: that or. I, I think I would be a great like gym teacher on different strokes. Oh, that
1: yeah, that would be great. Especially like one of the kids is having a problem maybe with drugs. Right. And you're right. concerned. You're yeah. concerned. You want to tell Mr. Drummond what you think is going on. Uh Mr. Drummond, it's Arnold. I'd like to talk to you about him. <laughs> yeah. No,
0: that always happens. I we were just talking about like when you're working on a show, you ride around in vans a lot with oh, people yeah. and you have all this downtime, and one of my coworkers is equally obsessed with seventies and eighties television because mm-hmm. we're like the same age. She's a pretty famous comedian. So we have these chats all the time. And we were talking about like when they do a very special different strokes. yes, And like, there was like, uh, really like hardcore topics that I don't even think that they would like do them today. I don't think so either. It was like a a gym teacher is touching somebody.
1: I'm like, what? Yeah. And the guy from WKRP played the bike shop owner. That
0: was the one we were talking about. (laughs) We're like,
1: that was so uncomfortable and creepy. Um, I think that's been excised from reruns. It probably has show. been yeah. Because
0: when they were Telling me about it I was like Oh my gosh I can't even I don't even know How to process all of that What caught your eye over there You were looking at the book I was looking at your books And I saw you had a book Next Level Basic By Stassi Schroeder Exactly
1: Another Vanderpump uh, Yeah But she's yeah. very popular Extremely Has a wonderful podcast It's really popular yeah. And everything Yeah, yeah. Very she's nice lady so spectacular yes yeah, she is yeah do you have any of the other books in that style? um
0: let me see i mean i i love the fossey thing yeah but i i don't know it and i do have boys keep swinging by jake shears yeah i don't know about bad with money by gabby dunn who is that Oh, so
1: gabby dunn's a terrific podcaster and oh. uh, noted by con she calls herself because she talks about like being queer and being bi and it's like a big part of her brand right she has a show called just between us with her friend allison raskin and that's because she started i think okay. they, they, they had like a youtube thing which the youtube thing is like kind of new to me i I met a lot of the YouTubers at DragCon because we right. that's where I met you briefly, right? And, right, and tackled you and harassed you to be on yes, the show. Yes, yes, no, yeah. and here we are. Yeah, now exactly. I'm sitting
0: in your um, <laughs> Den of Vinyl. Uh, maybe it's. It might be. Oh, I think it's leather. I'm. I'm feeling yeah, the no, couch. It is. It is. I
1: thought you were referring to the records. Yeah. No, but, no, uh, but there
0: are records. I feel like we could shoot a scene from um, Boogie
1: Nights. <laughs> that's exactly the look here. The, that's so the the vibe and the feel that I like to go that's for. That's what yeah. you wanted. You achieved it. It's terrific. I couldn't think of a higher seal of approval. than from you i mean you're very um adept at yeah uh, i'm style oriented and i'm just now uh clocking your
0: fireplace your building is a very like kind of mid-century to, mm-hmm. to late mid-century 70s West Hollywood building so it kind of really you're not fighting the vibe of I'm the not, building no, no, I'm going with it it's you gotta a, embrace yeah. it yeah exactly so many people are like I want to rip everything out and put it in a barn door I'm like bitch you don't live in a barn like yeah. when I see these like home decor shows I'm like I really like it because the kitchen is Tuscan and the master bedroom has a bo- sliding barn door I'm like that <laughs> makes no sense yeah and it only it makes me livid but i guess uh-huh. i've got to get out more
1: well you know it, there's nothing wrong with holding true to your principles about maintaining a consistent I aesthetic i like right? i
0: like design integrity
1: yeah like there's a reason why things are designed a certain way and sure. form
0: always follows function mm-hmm. and that that may sound crazy for me because i usually like to gild the lily and wear crazy outfits and stuff but
1: that's all but, consistent though
0: but essentially I'm very consistent and i you know whether it's dressing your home or dressing your body yeah uh, it just needs to be appropriate for the situation. Yes, like right. you could be wearing the most amazing suit, but if you're going to the beach, that's the wrong outfit. <laughs> right. Um, right. And same thing. It's like you might look amazing in like your workout outfit, but don't wear it to a job interview. Sure.
1: Do you find that sometimes people who really embrace fashion or say uh, flamboyant outfits or something, right? will sort of fall short when it comes to going to the beach or when it comes to something that is a more uh, casual situation. Right.
0: Well, I think, you know, I think sometimes this, the problem is with simplicity mm-hmm. and simplicity is really the heart of elegance. Sure. Um. So it's it's really about knowing what to wear where to wear it and when to wear it, yeah. and yeah, I do sometimes think that if you're a little extra, it's sometimes hard to pare it down for <laughs> the more utilitarian endeavors. Sure, sure, but you can find a nice print um, swim yeah. Suit you can, and- I, I truly believe that you can express your personality through clothing appropriately for every situation. I don't mean to sound appropriately like like I'm like the, you know, the fashion police, because <laughs> well, I no, think we should I, all express ourselves. Yeah. But there's a reason why you wear certain things to certain things. Like yes. I see hipsters all the time walking around like West Hollywood yeah. or Brooklyn, and it's a hundred degrees, it's July, <laughs> and they're wearing like a beaver fur felt like fedora. And I'm like, sure. that's a great look. You look amazing. But yeah, the fur felt kind of look is... For fall and winter, because yeah. it actually keeps heat in and makes yeah. you warm, so a straw fedora or a Panama or any of that kind of vibe—that's yeah. for
1: spring and summer because right. it breathes. So yeah.
0: th- there's a reason why there are rules because it affects how things function. That's so, true,
1: and actually, it looks a little bit more genuine if someone has something that is working with the climate. Yeah, honestly. it's
0: got everything. Should be appropriate and authentic, and, yeah. and and have a reason. You shouldn't be just wearing something because
1: it looks cool or it's trendy. There should be. It should be rooted in function, and usually, even the most flamboyant outfit, if it's authentic to the person, I find that uh, people just it accept works. it. Yeah, like yeah. they, they accept it because it's a representation of yeah, who they there's are. There's nothing wrong with flamboyance. No, I mean, certainly not. Yeah. I, you know, I've I don't been, think either of us would. I've that.
0: been known <laughs> to dress like a casino carpet um, <laughs> in my career, and I'm I'm all about it. I think there's so much fun out there. I think there's a new interior design book called Beige is Not a Color. Uh-huh. I think it might be by Carlos Mota. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really embrace that kind of thing. There's so much great fun pattern. And I get why people wear all black um, because it's easy and it's chic and it's slimming and all that. But I just find there are too many, you know, like Rue would say there are too many crayons in the
1: coloring uh, box of crayons to do one color. How do you approach getting dressed every day? Do you go with a mood or do you go with what catches your eye?
0: I just kind of feel it, yeah. you know? And oftentimes it's kind of just serendipity and an mm. accident. I'm just like, "Oh my gosh, I I just I'm feeling this today and it's working." Today I'm wearing this like Hermès horse print shirt because I'm a total Equifile and and a very noted equestrian I a little bit and um, I had a meeting today about something in that space So I was like I I need to you know show that I'm authentically like into this and I that yeah. I actually own the Hermes shirt with the horse drawings on it. That's how much I'm into
1: it. So yeah. that kind of drove the look for today. Sure. And then you wore the matching. Well, not, uh, would you say matching pants or the uh, uh, complementary Yeah, pants?
0: A coordinating, co-ordinating pants. Thank you. That's the word I was looking and, for. And yeah. um, a sand-washed kind of taupey suede loafer and mm-hmm. a simple Hermes belt, you yeah. know. It's actually... For all pretty basic but sure.
1: um i try to wear things with a little bit of flair mm-hmm. and then there's a gold uh, motif going through your accessories yeah i have just a
0: watch and a little um a little gold bangle thing mm-hmm. on and your sunglasses are gold. oh my sunglasses yeah. are gold yes yeah. gold and amber i'm not that strict about mixing metals too i think silver and gold look great together yeah and because certainly
1: my watch is two-tone it kind of ties okay. it all together yeah now at uh, what age did you start feeling clothes, basically?
0: Um, As soon as I came out of the womb, I was like, are you going to swaddle me in that? (laughs) I don't think so. I have a fashionable mom Mm -hmm. and not in the sense that she was like designer driven. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania in the 1970s, -hmm. but fashion was pretty fierce back then. And there was a lot of individuality and there was a lot of great stuff happening. And Gloria Vanderbilt was introducing designer denim and Vidal Sassoon and Jordache and so there was a lot of flair at that time. Yeah, And my mom, uh, we were not you know, wealthy or like even that uh, exposed to fashion sure. because we lived in Allentown, Pennsylvania, yeah. but th- the stores had a lot of flair back then. And we still mm-hmm. had fabulous department stores. There was one in Allentown called Hess's and uh-huh. they had crystal chandeliers and they would oh, do wow. promotions called like shopping around the world and they would send buyers. It was like a mini Neiman Marcus. Sure. It was in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Yeah. There was a lot more style back then. Uh So I learned that, you know, wearing the right thing to the right occasion was important for my mom. Like you wore a certain thing to church and you wore a certain thing to school and you wore a certain thing to play. Right. Um, right. We had our different uniforms. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I heard you mention another interview about Uh, having a uniform your basic uniform for when you're not sure about what to wear right right so tell me a little bit more about that because i think sometimes people do struggle with their standard look
0: yeah i think for guys i mean and it's and you have to kind of personalize this because ultimately you know fashion is about Mm self-expression and communicating who you are to the world yeah sergio valente the 1970s denim designer i believe said How you dress tells the world how you feel sure and um as cheesy as like sergio valente could be construed I think that's a great quote. I agree Um, and I wonder if there even was a sergio valente or was that just an ad campaign Anyway, (laughs) that would be amazing. We'll dive into that in a very special murder. She wrote that's right um, but um for me a a go-to is like if i'm going out at night I wear black motocross jeans from mm-hmm. Bellstaff and a black stretchy button-down shirt from express that's super inexpensive a great belt great shoes great watch the clothes might have been $50 in total, but yeah. the accessories elevate it. Sure. Um, and then for the daytime in the summer, I'm starting to sound like little Edie Beal. <laughs> for the daytime in the summer, I like to wear. Um, uh. <laughs> but in the daytime in the summer, you know, I think for me, white jeans, loafers, blue blazer, yeah. button down is also. And yeah. again, I personalize it and elevate it with a good shoe good watch good belt
1: there's a, an element of sort of uh, inspirational guidance in right. a lot of the stuff that you say in various shows and also your books as well right, right? you have right. a number of books i do yeah because i find that there's a connection between the interior and the exterior in your sure. uh, talks and everything that's really interesting and i think it's um really helpful for people to look into that and yeah i yeah. think if you can um Uh, How you
0: present yourself to the world is a really important component of a successful life. Sure, And it doesn't matter if you uh, uh, are a farmer and you work outside and uh, you may have a certain uniform that you wear to work, but then on the weekend or a date or a special occasion, you want to wear something that evokes a different feeling. And clothing, I think, because it's such so intimate, it's on your body, sure. it's up in your grill, literally. Yeah, it affects how you feel, and we all know, like, when you wear a fabulous outfit, you have a little bit more confidence and a spring in your step. True. And you say, "Oh my gosh, I feel really hot today. Yeah, I can take over the world." That's really important because that that pushes you over the edge of like maybe being a little reclusive or quiet to being out there. And being proud and being presenting
1: um, yourself. Yeah, and and conquering the world instead of like just, you know, eking your way through it. Sure. Now, you uh, clearly have a lot of confidence, and I wanted to know if that was uh, always the case. No, no. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: I was a very shy kid. Yeah. And of course, growing up gay in a small town in Pennsylvania, you always have this thing like, I don't want to be too much of this or that because that will out me. Yeah. And little did I know, I was just—I couldn't help myself. You know, <laughs> I did have Sergio Valente jeans in the fourth grade. That was yeah. just what I what I wanted, and I, in my yeah. heart of hearts, I was like, I must have these jeans. Sure, I will get ridiculed and heckled and like taunted on the school bus to and from. But there didn't seem to be any other option. Sure, right? That's the only way. That was just what I what I literally felt. Yeah. Um. And then eventually, I think sometimes the way you feel. Um, on the inside, you become comfortable to express outwardly, yes, and that's when your life kind of like clicks in, yeah, and for me, you know, uh, what I thought was an Achilles heel, which was being gay mm-hmm. and something that I had to endure um shaming for. suddenly when I started doing Queer Eye for the Straight Guy became celebrated. And that was such a validation for me. I was still living the same way. I was in New York City. I worked for Ralph Lauren. Mm -hmm. I, you know, did photo shoots all over the world. I was my authentic self. We had a great time. I was sassy and funny and self-deprecating and would be on set holding like a arm load of cashmere socks and then i would <laughs> pretend pratfall in front of bruce yeah. weber and the whole crew and they're yeah. like carson you're so funny yeah so i've just always been that and then when that was exposed on television yeah and people i tell this story a lot where you know, like i would go back to my hometown in allentown and i'd be at the lehigh valley mall and mm-hmm. you would hear like "Ew, there's that queer guy and then after the show it became something celebratory which is Hard to fathom, yeah, sure. And people would be like, "Oh my God, there's that queer guy," <laughs> and it just goes to show you that um, people are more open, maybe than we ex- we give them credit for, mm-hmm. and also the power of of media and, a, yeah, and being, a, being on a positive show, yeah. that celebrates people and helps people mm-hmm. and does good work can
1: create a lot of uh, positive reinforcement from the outside world. That reminds me of a one show that you were on as a guest when Queer Eye was starting, where you were doing a makeover on one of the uh, panelists on the show and it didn't go so well and i remember listening to him being horrified it was the howard stern show oh
0: yeah it was terrible it was one of the worst days of my life <laughs> i was it was
1: i mean i couldn't i couldn't imagine being in your shoes during that it sounded horrific so basically for those who don't know Artie lang a troubled comedian who's right yeah, right very very troubled um they made him over and he needed some help he, he was a little um shabby in the clothes department right confidence not there and and
0: and and we were so naive and it was probably during our first season and we just thought someone needs makeover we've got to go help and we were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and we didn't really know that perhaps the intention of the show which we don't know for sure but was to have it go badly and to have him you know he appeared to become
1: uh Extremely intoxicated, extremely yeah.
0: intoxicated, and quite aggressive as the thing was going on. And I'd never encountered that. I I have only sure. worked with people that wanted to be better, right, and maybe wanted the help.
1: Maybe a little shy about it or something,
0: but yeah, you know, or maybe um like a uh, concern that something might not be a, the right look for them. Oh God, I am uncomfortable. I don't know if I can sure. wear this. Yeah, but not like belligerent, and yeah. also not not. Having the purest of intentions of wanting to do the show and have a makeover, but yeah. wanting to have the focus be a train wreck and have it yeah. not go well, and saying some terrible things really, to people that yeah. were, you know, working in the store where I'd taken them, and it was a store that was a special kind of private. Exclusive place where I say, Can we please do this thing here? And we're going to do this makeover. And I, in my heart of hearts, I thought this is going to be great for him. It's got a vintage sure. vibe.
1: Yeah. He's going to look cool. I just wanted the best for him. Yeah, and it was clear that you all cared and were trying to A, make him comfortable. Yeah. And then B, get the thing that would make him look his best. Yeah,
0: no, but it just, that wasn't his or his producer's intentions, I believe. And it just like went
1: it badly. Yeah, definitely. I honestly felt that the show thought it would be a nice thing because they've done other makeovers on oh people. have they yeah like what well, there was an intern named jd where uh, howard's right. wife uh took beth. him out shopping yes. right who's a delight oh okay yeah she sounds lovely oh yeah. she's the nicest human in the world okay well that's, and uh so they did something like that so they've done that a number right. of times in different settings and it i i took it that howard was uh, genuinely disgusted oh, with oh, the oh yeah way that it, i think he yeah. probably was yeah and he's a really you know i've got to spend some time with them mm-hmm. from knowing
0: beth and he is actually a very kind mm-hmm. and deep and uh lovely soul.
1: I think that's why so, the show works overall really because if it, if it was just kind of a, an attack show
0: right it would be a one note
1: but he's yeah.
0: he's really a lovely person. So I don't I don't have any um ill feelings to him. I just think it didn't go as as yeah. we had planned. Certainly. Yeah. And that was, yeah. I was like literally like ripping my mic off and like, we're done. <laughs> and which I've never done, right. not
1: before or since. I'll pull a clip, I think, and put it in of the uh, the moment when you, you just sort of give up and you're like, I really don't. and Which is I, amazing. You've gone through so much and it's so right. he hits that breaking this is point. probably going to give me PTSD from <laughs> hearing it again. <laughs> well, I'll, put, put, it in, a I'll put it in post. Put it in you, later. Yeah, you I won't expose you yeah, to when it. Yeah, when I'm gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's do some fashion, shall we?
0: Okay. Speaking of gay guys, let's fuck. Okay. All right. Woo! Come over here. Let's try some stuff on. Which one of you gay guys wants to fuck? <laughs> Which one doesn't? I got enough liquor in me to fuck a gay guy.
1: <laughs> oh, oh,
0: oh. Man, so Artie's saying he, uh, if he's drunk enough, he's gay. None of these gay guys have the balls to blow me. And I guarantee it. All right, let's
1: go. We'll see what? you in 10 minutes. Okay. They don't even want them. I know, they're like, oh.
0: ugh. <laughs> all right. Get it How about queer eye fucking straight guy? Oh yeah, they don't have I a calls for that, Bravo, do they? I'm an ugly straight guy, but they won't fuck me.
1: <laughs> and the gay guys are like, I just want to dress you and get out of here.
0: They were supposed to, they're not supposed to be nurses. Yeah
1: who wants to fuck a real guy you guys have fun right,
0: right here we're I'll taking numbers fuck who's yeah. next who's <laughs> next I'll make a list okay Just I'll put next. this I'll put this on and fuck any fag in here Hold right on. now
1: Good <laughs> that's already putting on a dress I think the police thing that whistle is the police coming in through, through, through bust but I mean we didn't send those people out to be abused by Artie I RD. know oh he's screaming out faggots oh. Carson gets pissed the whole thing
0: good i really like lost my like mood to like be here right now yeah because okay. like it was fun for a while but it's not fun anymore i'm not laughing at you no i know I'm, I'm just saying i can't i can't do what i do
1: just fine. Yeah. it's
0: really fun i'm sure you have a really funny tape and i'll look like an
1: idiot but it's fine
0: uh, you don't look like an idiot
1: carson. no carson
0: believe me
1: there's somebody out there that looks like a real big idiot but it's not you
0: <laughs> we can see
1: the idiot what can i tell you i'm shocked Back to uh, your youth and then moving to New York. What time did you move to New York? I uh, had a great liberal arts education
0: from Gettysburg College, and I graduated in May of 1991. Yeah, And I knew I wanted to move to New York City, and that was really just my end goal. And I didn't really... I had a great liberal arts degree, but sometimes that doesn't really... Uh, focus you for a particular job. Sure. Now,
1: what were you generally studying during the liberal arts? Uh,
0: I have a degree in finance and also a degree in fine art. Oh, okay. And that was a good balance. And I I tell kids that all the time if I like speak at colleges or whatever. For me, what was successful was Doing something like kind of math and sciencey that kind of maybe my parents wanted me to do, <laughs> sure, and then I found balance in something totally expressive and artistic, yeah in you know art history and and uh, fine arts and sculpture and yeah. all that. I could kind of you know do a little bit of anything. I grew up showing horses as well, mm-hmm. and I had a friend who worked for the u s Equestrian Federation. And they're the, kind of the governing body for equestrian sports oh, in America, sure. yeah. like the NFL or the NBA. Right. I think there was a plot on murder
1: she wrote involving was them. There? I'm pretty sure first season,
0: I'll, I'll really? go back and Send check. Send it to yeah, me. I will. And uh, I had a friend who was working there and she was having a baby and she's like, I'm going to quit my job. You should come and do it. And it's in New York City. So I actually had a job lined up before I graduated. Wow, that's
1: impressive. Yeah.
0: And uh, I think I graduated like May 6th, 1991 and like May 7th, I moved to New York City. Wow. And it was the classic. I was like Peggy Sawyer from the Broadway uh, musical 42nd Street, who was also from Allentown. And I (laughs) I literally took the bus and I got off at Port Authority and I was like, which way is 42nd Street? And they're like, bitch, you're on it. Uh Uh, But I didn't know which way went east and west. Sure. New York seemed so big yeah. and so foreign. It was like a place that I had never The trees looked different and yeah. the, the buildings looked different. I would look like what I thought like France would look like or uh-huh. something. Yeah. All the sycamore trees and 42nd Street back then was, you know, was uh very dodgy. Yeah. I like to call it the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> uh I just threw myself in. Yeah. And eventually like some I found that to be a very difficult period in life. Like really yeah. When you leave college and you have all of your friends and you're used to just being around your classmates, whether it's sure. high school. I mean, for, you know, uh sixteen years you've been in kind of a uh school environment where you Mm -hmm. have this group of peers yeah and then all of a sudden you're like on your own yeah right and far from
1: where you were, yeah,
0: far ish you know and very foreign to me yeah and you're just like what do i do with my time and i i just remember i was living like i was too scared to like actually live in new york city (laughs) so i like lived in an apartment in new jersey and i worked in new york city yeah and i took the bus and people were dressing like working girl with like high top Reeboks yeah. and like carrying uh, vinylized Harrods shopping bags with their lunch in it. yeah. And I would go back to my apartment at night and I, there was nothing to do. And I would go to the park and I would go to Filene's basement. And I was like, what does one do with all their time? Like, right. When you just work during the day, what do you do at night? And especially you're making new
1: friends too. So you don't know that many people. Right.
0: And that was cu- quite isolated. Then after about like three months of that, I was like, I'm moving into the city and then some friends from college had got an apartment Oh, great! and I lived with two girls and we lived on the Upper East side. And then you start taking the subway and going out at night. And I went to my first gay bar, which was like, I remember surreptitiously like casing the block and uh-huh. then like darting in again, like people didn't like already know. Um, and I remember it just, it seemed so covert. Yeah, like sure. Having a first boyfriend yeah. who had worked at uh Armani Exchange, what Armani Exchange was kind of expensive and
1: and, um, and kind of glamorous. With all the traveling I've been doing lately, I haven't exactly been getting back into the cooking groove. But one thing that's helped me to avoid getting everything delivered is uh, this fabulous thing called Daily Harvest. I think I've told you about it before, and I'd like to tell you about it again. Now, In addition to the fabulous smoothies that I've talked about a few times on the show, they now have fabulous harvest bowls, as well as hearty soups, which is perfect for the current and upcoming season. It all depends on where you are in the country, but even in LA, it gets a little chilly. So there's nothing nicer than having a very quick, easy to make, and very easy to eat, actually. You heat it up and then eat it with the soups or the harvest bowl. You wouldn't do that with the smoothie unless, you know, you're into that sort of thing. If so, we do not judge. We do not yuck a yum and this kind of yum is the kind of yum that makes it easy for you to eat more fruits and vegetables daily harvest makes it possible to fill your box with more than 65 different options Daily Harvest is the quickest and most convenient way to eat a delicious and nutritious meal or a snack Whether you're at your desk, near your desk, on the go, completely just laid out on the floor, asleep on the toilet Whatever situation you find yourself in, Daily Harvest will only take a minute or two to prepare Everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to eat it And you can customize them For instance, you add your favorite milk, almond milk, oat milk, whatever milk, to a smoothie And blend it, preferably, it's a little bit easier to drink that way Or when you heat up your harvest bowl, top it with an avocado or a fried egg. Or guess what? You could do both. So if you want a piece of this action, go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code WHIM to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code WHIM for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. Where is that again? Oh, it's dailyharvest.com. There was also a time when you
0: know the AIDS epidemic was still you know in full swing. Sure, and uh, it was a very very different time. It seems like a lifetime ago, but also when you think about it, it seems like yesterday. Like I I just you know a song or a a particular like store or a building I'll walk Uh by like oh I remember something that happened here. Yeah. Um, So it was yeah it was a it was a really uh, super influential time in my life. Sure, and you
1: fell in love with New York pretty quickly.
0: I lived in Allen outside of Allentown, Pennsylvania in the country. I was practically Amish Mm -hmm. (laughs) and for my first, you know, 21 years. And then from 21 to basically 50, I've lived in New York city. So Mm -hmm. it's really the only thing I know I come to LA and I work for months at a time and I'm kind of a part-time LA -er. sure, but really the only city I know is, is New York. And it's just, it seems normal to me and subways and the energy level Mm -hmm. and, um, the crowds and the excitement and that kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. A very, very urban. Yeah. You know, Busy. kind of unlike any other city in America. Sure. It's what I know. And then I go to places and I'm like, wow, Washington DC is so bucolic and green <laughs> and uh-huh. clean and lovely. And yeah. I see these cities when I visit them, but the really the only place I know is New York. Yeah. Now uh what part of town is your favorite? In the city. Yeah. Um, what part of town, I guess like the West village is so charming Yeah, and especially in the summer when people are outside, like eating on, you know, sidewalk cafes and you have the cobblestone streets and there's some really chic stores and Mm -hmm. beautiful, uh, brownstones. Um, that's fun. I love the upper East side. I know Mm -hmm. that's a snore, but like (laughs) there are like streets on the upper East side where you're like, oh my gosh, am I in Paris? Like the architecture is incredible and there's still on the upper East side. Original stores that are, you know, mom and pop that aren't, yeah. you know, from a national brand or something. I like that. I like, you know, an individual like little flower shop and an individual mm-hmm. clothing boutique and a great, yeah. you know, old-fashioned drugstore like Zidamers that uh-huh. has like a beauty counter and hair accessories and <laughs> right. every cosmetic you could ever think of and every yeah. cologne and every Votivo candle. Mm-hmm. Those, I like special specialty stores. So I like yeah. the Upper Side for that. Because there's been a lot of, Gentrification or Yeah, or taking redevelopment. Over. Like redevelopment, Hudson yeah. Yards. Like I go back to New York after being in LA for like three months. I'm like, okay, I don't even recognize the place. Uh-huh. And um like Hudson Yards is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, What's Hudson Yards? Hudson Yards is a giant redevelopment zone in New York City. Okay. Um That has a number of new high rises Mm -hmm. and um, it has a big giant shopping center. It has New York's first Neiman Marcus. Oh,
1: that's strange. I I would have imagined that there would have been one there before. I'm getting more familiar with New York. This year was the first time I've spent a lot of time there by myself. They have a Bergdorf Goodman, which is kind of our Neiman's. And
0: I think it is or was owned by the same parent company. Okay. So it was a long time when they didn't enter that market. And now they're there. And Neiman's is, you know, I love Neiman's. It's super fun and chic. And um just an iconic department store. So they're there now. Mm-hmm. Um it's a you know, the whole Hudson Yards thing is it's big and shiny and new and a little there's something a little uh like Dubai ish about it. Like <laughs> sure. New York is gritty and older, so yeah. anytime an entire complex emerges, mm-hmm. yeah, it's impressive and shiny and new, but you know, I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I like, you know, I like it kind of old school. Sure. And it's gotta be a little jarring kind of saying that. Yeah. It's surprising. Yeah. I mean, that's in a part of town, like, you know, 10th 9th and 10th Avenue where there kind of was nothing. Okay, And now they're, you know, it's become super gentrified and people who had apartments over there. I'm just like, God, where do you go to like get your groceries, et cetera, oh, right. are now in the thick of it. I'm like, okay, yeah, the laughs on me, you now have the two million two dollar <laughs> two bedroom. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: How long was it from when you were working for the, you were working for the Federation, right? Right, right. Which you, is an impressive thing to say, right? I work for the Federation.
0: Uh, you know, it's it was it <laughs> it was um, it was super fun and I got to travel a lot and it was something yeah. I knew a lot about. So it was an easy kind of
1: um, transition for me. And you also got to keep working with horses.
0: Right? I did, I did. I got to go to a lot of competitions and more of an official capacity. Yeah. Um, it was ultimately a nonprofit. So after a while I was like, hmm, I would love to have some money to buy some shoes. <laughs> right. So after doing that for three or four years, I was um just kind of again, didn't really have a plan. Yeah. But I knew companies that I kind of liked the culture of yeah. that were in New York. And seemed glamorous to me, so I was right. like, I'd like to work for Ralph Lauren or Calvin Klein yeah. or maybe even MGM or Disney. Like literally, I would walk around, I'd be like, Oh, there's an MGM here in the city, like it was on Seventh Avenue. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know they were had an office there, and I thought yeah. that that would be fun. Yeah. So I would just, you know, it was before the internet. Oh yeah. And you would have to like know a headhunter or something. Mm-hmm. There was a woman at my gym who was like a professional headhunter, and I had always been a bit of a Ralph Lauren ophile. And I had, like, Blackwatch track pants on, like, the wind pants that were made out of, like, polyester, and they made noise oh, when yeah. you walked. Yeah. And I had the sweatshirt with the teddy bear holding the Blackwatch basketball, and then I actually had the Blackwatch basketball <laughs> from buying $75 or more of fragrance at Bloomingdale's. Oh, okay. And I went to the gym in that getup, and I went mostly to meet guys. And... uh this woman saw me and she's like, "Ah, uh, who are you?" Yeah. She, she's like, "You should work for Ralph Lauren." I was like, "I should." Yeah. And then like two days later, I had an interview there and mm-hmm. I met with the woman and I just, I remember saying like, "I really just feel like this is theater and if I, you know, I think a big part is like the magic of Ralph Lauren is like living the lifestyle." Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, "Yeah, you kind of get it." And like two days later, I had like a an offer to be an assistant in men's design. And I uh-huh. worked with all the executives who ran that men's arm of the company. And it was Jerry Lauren, who is Ralph's brother, John Varvatos, mm. who went on to have his own very famous company. right? And another lady named Bobby Renalis, who was really wonderful to me. And I say to people all the time, it was just like the devil wears Prada. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I was like buying shampoo and like riding around in like a town car, getting sardine sandwiches. And, yeah. But everyone was nice. So and it was a, it was a Overwatch, phenomenal yeah. work experience. And all of us back in the day, I mean, so many great people have come out of Ralph Lauren, from yeah. Vera Wang uh to Tom Brown to, you know, John Varvatos, yeah. uh, Todd Snyder. Like mm-hmm. there's it's it's a training ground for so many um fashion uh luminaries. And I I received such a great education mm-hmm. on the fashion industry and just
1: um about taste levels. Sure, and also I imagine about how to, how to treat people.
0: Yeah, it's, it was definitely a very gracious place. I mean, we worked really hard, mm-hmm. and you work long hours, and it's not nearly as glamorous as you think, um, but it was a gracious atmosphere, and I really think whether it's a television show or a company like Ralph Lauren, it, there's a trickle-down effect from the leadership from the top down. Absolutely. And you feel that, and, and Ralph is a very gracious person, and that permeated and you know, definitely there was drama and there was, you know, things when you're putting on a fashion show and it's, you know, gotta happen Yeah, in two hours. I mean, I remember a time where like, I took, I think 27 trunks of clothing to <laughs> Milan, me on an airplane. <laughs> right? And I had to get them back by myself because all of the runway samples that were in the fashion show had to come back to New York like the next day oh my God. because the market would open they'd all have to be on bust forms and mannequins so the buyers from neiman's and bloomingdale's and all these places could come and look at the clothes and make their orders and if the clothes didn't make it Uh we were really up the creek so i i just remember pushing these like 27 cases (laughs) through the airport by myself like almost in tears i can
1: imagine yeah i'm Uh, imagining a combination of you know when the guy collects the carts at the grocery store mm -hmm. that and when you're just struggling with your luggage yeah it was like
0: that it was a chain it was like a train of black (laughs) boxes they're called (laughs) and they're rolling trunks on wheels and they go in every direction imaginable sure and you have to kind of uh, corral them together with like a nylon seatbelt. <laughs> and then as you know customs is like oh, what are you doing with all of this clothes oh, yeah, I'm like yeah. I'm taking them home <laughs> uh right. so it was uh yeah there were some stressful moments but great yeah. moments. Sure. And then from there you went to Queer Eye, right? Yeah, I did. I was I had a great job and I was working uh for Ralph Lauren and somehow uh, uh one of my producers that produced our photo shoots that we created at Polo said, "Oh, I heard about this show. It's called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. It's going to be on Bravo." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What's Bravo a nonstick cooking spray?" <laughs> you know, it wasn't it wasn't really a household name no. back then. Yeah. And I just, on a whim, said, well, I'll just... And it's kind of how I've always run my life. I just say, well, why not just give it a whirl? Yeah. And they're like, do you have a headshot? I'm like, no. I have a picture of me like holding a bunch of, of husky dogs, wearing a reindeer sweater. That's good for like, like, an our author's last photo. photo yeah. From yeah. our last photo shoot. And um, I went down, and I met the producers, and they liked me, and couple weeks, le- maybe months later, they said, we're going to go to Boston and make a pilot. And I yeah. told my boss I need like two days off. And she's like, great, go do it. I drove a white Cadillac sedan DeVille that I borrowed from my parents to mm-hmm. Boston. We made a pilot and we'd be on Newbury Street saying, we're going to be famous. Oh, right. And, you know, kind of joking and thinking like, this is never happening. And then like a year later, they called and said, Bravo has been bought by NBC Universal. They really love the idea of the show. Are you ready to quit your job? And I was like, I don't, do you have dental insurance? Like, right. We're well, very practical. It was thought, a, yeah. But it was a, it was a, it was a big decision because it was like, wait, I'm going to quit my job for eight episodes of a show that might not right. be successful for like, I don't know, $15,000 or something crazy. Yeah. For a network too, that at the time we was kind know. of unknown. Yeah. yeah. And um, I had the most wonderful boss at Ralph Lauren. Her name mm-hmm. is Liz Paley. And she said, why don't you try it? And if it doesn't work out, we'll hire you back. Oh, that's great. I probably still would have said yes because I'm a a bit of a risk taker Mm -hmm. and if it hadn't worked out, I would have, you know, it would have been terrible because I'd be like looking for a job, but she made it a very easy decision and I've always been so grateful to her and everyone at Polo Ralph Lauren for that kind of support and um, we made the show and like, I think it came on like mid-July 2003 Mm -hmm. and by the end of the month, we were like out here in LA doing Jay Leno or something, doing The Tonight Show. sure. And Ellen, and yeah. uh, it was just uh, crazy. I mean, it's it seemed like a whirlwind. I think today that happens even faster. Yeah, um, I think it does. Because things are so um, sped up with social media. Mm-hmm. There was a sort of meteoric rise yeah, with the show, yeah, which must was. have been kind of a head spinner. It was. Fortunately, I was 33 years old, so I had uh-huh. a little bit of perspective. And it still is. And you're like, oh my gosh, people like know my name and they recognize me. and Yeah. Um, Uh, wants like an autograph, or I think it was even pre like selfie days. Oh, sure, yeah. I think being older and having you know lived a little bit, it gave me more perspective. And I always say like, I get why you know child stars like go off the deep end because like if you don't have great parents and a great something to ground you, you can get it caught up in the unreality of it, and nothing's really real when you're in a business where your business is you. Sure, any artist. Uh, whether you're an actor or a fashion designer or an architect or a painter, your work is so personal that if yeah. somebody doesn't like your work or your work isn't successful, um, then you feel like you're a failure. So sure. it's really important to have perspective. Like you are not your work, right? And your value is not determined by how your
1: work is is received. Sure, that is a tricky thing for people to. Yeah, um, I think it's really, yeah. really hard. And and uh, also not internalizing uh, failures that aren't. Because of you like things sometimes the things don't work out. Yeah. It's just the universe or whatever. Yeah, exactly And
0: also don't the flip side of that is just because you're like super popular right now and people are Are you know giving you a lot of adulation? That's also not real
1: or lasting.
0: That's true. Enjoy it
1: Enjoy
0: it by all means But that's why I say I was lucky was I had a sense of perspective.
1: Yeah, sure And also being around such a uh, high stakes industry uh, working for Ralph Lauren you also must have seen a lot of that models coming I and did. going. And, I did. Yeah.
0: I was also lucky in being in the horse show world and I was in a very, you know, a less expensive, very, you know, not that glamorous sector of it. Okay. But I had also seen people who like fly their horses on airplanes and, <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, ran Fortune 500 companies and sure. I knew them and I talked to them because I yeah. had this common thread and we were all in the same kind of pool. Right. I wasn't that intimidated yeah. by... All of the glitz and glamour. I was like, I I had a glimpse
1: of this. If you can get a look in at that kind of lifestyle, right? It really demystifies a lot of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And also, like, I have I have very good parents who are very practical and like you know are about like save your money and yeah. you know, don't buy yourself a Bentley, <laughs> right? You know, and you hear stories of that, like I don't know, somebody from like you know Jersey Shore or something, sure, spent yeah. all their money on like a a Rolls Royce or something. Yeah, and I always. I was, you know, I would treat myself, but I, I did have some perspective and be like, mm, you know, one penny saved is two pennies earned. Like yeah. a, that was always I that was in that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I oh, right. read yeah, that yeah. when I was like 21, I was like, wait a minute, you have to work. <laughs> if you save two pennies, no, if you save one penny, it's like working for two pennies because with taxes and everything, yeah. I don't know. I, I've always just kind of uh, internalized that and said, yeah. don't,
1: don't. Don't get crazy It's always good Just to keep in mind That you know Even for, like, for instance With a TV show You know The right. gong show Used to be the most Popular thing In the world Everyone really? on the street You right, remember that Right I, it, With like, Chuck Barris Yeah Like you everyone, everyone knew that If you go around today No one knows that show No You know what I mean That's no. the there ultimate are, example I think.
0: Yeah And as you get older I'm almost 50 Like references that I know <laughs> Of like different strokes And facts of life and Oh sure And all those things yeah. Kids are like Who? What? And even sometimes On Drag Race We'll have contestants And they'll be like Oh it's you know It's a night of a thousand shares or whatever it is. And like, I don't really know her, her music. And I'm like, (laughs) she's like part of the culture of the world. Yeah. The fabric that Yeah. yeah. But you know, when you're when you're if you were born in nineteen ninety nine or something, you you know. You might not know. Brittany's your share. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, you know, whoever, Christina, or Mm -hmm. whichever person you relate to. So, yeah, things, everything is constantly changing. True. And nothing is forever. Right. Now, what do you think uh, the responsibility is of
1: people to sort of know their cultural history?
0: I mean, I think it's really important. I think um, I've always felt in my heart of hearts, like, knowing my gay history Mm is just a, a a a debt we owe to people that have made our lives easier yeah i'm a naturally curious person sure too, so i like to you know google and do research and yeah. i think that's what's so wonderful about today agreed you yeah. know if i read a story about something i click on something and i can get the backstory on this one person in the story
1: yeah right or you can if, get a whole rundown on someone that maybe yeah. years ago you would never be able to find a, a, anything about
0: yeah so just you know things like uh Netflix did a great movie about Marsha P. Johnson mm, right. and, um, you know, the history of the Stonewall and, you know, how it was a lot of a lot of it was driven by backlash against, you know, police brutality yeah. and things like that. You really need to. I just think we we as a gay community, it's really important that we know how hard people fought and sure. the risks they took and the and the uh, the lives they led with so much conviction yeah. to make it. Easier for us now to give us gay marriage, or uh, allow us to be able to adopt, or um, or just know the history of you know the AIDS crisis and act up, and Larry Kramer, and certainly, yeah, we have such a rich culture Mm -hmm. that um, I know we've become much more mainstream, and that's wonderful. Uh, But it's also important to know um, the stories that make us so special. Sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, on YouTube recently, I saw the the Emerald City, the TV show. I haven't show. seen it. Well, it's a TV show that was done in the '70s, and Larry Kramer was would be on it, interviewing okay. people. And uh, I'm was it like
0: m- a public access kind, kind of? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. talk format exactly. set in New York. Yeah, yeah. I remember those. I remember you know in, coming to New York, and there you know we had a great public access TV show, mm-hmm. and people like Robin Bird, and I was like, what, there oh, are right. nude people on TV <laughs> on TV, <laughs> right? Um, and I remember um. A lot of those, there was a great um, gay show, and I can't remember the name of it, Mm -hmm. um, with a a man and a woman, and they really educated me about, Mm -hmm. you know, what was going on in the city at that
1: time. Yeah, it is amazing. That stuff's sort of like the... uh predecessor to youtube stuff yeah, yeah. totally or podcasts totally. Yeah. they were
0: just like two like folding chairs <laughs> right. with like a, a plastic card table and a microphone and they yeah. were like broadcasting yeah. on like channel one or something yeah on time warner cable in new york city when you were in new york and at ralph lauren what was your nightlife Life nightlife I was out every night of the week <laughs> I mean it was the early 90s in New York yeah it was an unusual time because we were still living with AIDS and the, the AIDS epidemic and, and HIV and, and, and the yeah. the fear and stigma and all that stuff that came with it but at the same time it was also the time when there were big circuit parties and events to raise money yeah. for research and there was there was this dichotomy of like we've got to raise money and, and take care of ourselves I mean I mm-hmm. I really think that was a a shining moment in that we galvanized our community and said, we're going to have to take care of ourselves and raise money ourselves. And uh, the government is not necessarily addressing this. So what can we do to, to affect change? But at the same time, people didn't know if they were going to be around. So they were, you know, partying like it's 1999 and and being celebratory and living life and, Mm. and cherishing it. So it was a very unusual time, but you know, there was still some nightlife left in New York city. Yeah. And I was, you know, 21 years old and we had our routine, like on Monday nights, we went to Splash and it uh-huh. was musical Mondays uh-huh. and the drinks were inexpensive and Splash was such a glamorous new place. and yeah. they had Guys taking showers like above the bar <laughs> and they would show videos of uh, Broadway performances, I think mostly from the Tonys and they uh-huh. would show edited clips of Mommy Dearest, which oh, ju- sure. you know, Faye Dunaway was slapping the Christina <laughs> character over and over and over again, yeah. just campy, uh, funny stuff. So that was our Monday, Musical yeah. Mondays and Splash. Tuesdays, I can't remember where we went. We went somewhere and yeah. well, Tuesdays was Beige, oh, I beige, think. Okay. And then Wednesdays was something else. And then Thursdays were Dollar Margaritas at the works uh-huh. on the Upper West Side. And then Friday was the weekend and you would go someplace on Friday night. Saturday was the Roxy, oh, okay. which was the granddaddy. It was the Studio 54 of the gay World, uh-huh. I think back then. I mean, did mm-hmm. you ever experience no, it? No, no, I never. You're did too it. young.
1: Yeah, I'm, well, I'm 43, and I never really went to New York. Right. Until, well, yeah.
0: it was the size of a football field, okay. and it was filled with the most
1: gorgeous men you have ever uh-huh. seen.
0: Yeah. And I remember it was, you know, hard to get in, and I was oh, like sure. little old me. They gave out gold carts, like beautiful people. Uh-huh. I never got one, <laughs> and I was like, can I please get in? And it was like 25 or something. Oh, it was wow. really, right. it was very intimidating sure. for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, my sparkling personality, I somehow made it happen. Yeah. And I would go in and I would talk to everybody, mm-hmm. you know, guys that were way out of my league, I would come up with a fun line and mm-hmm. and just, you know, engage them and sometimes they were delighted and sometimes they're like, uh, security. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, those were the days. Um, and the nightlife was insane. And then it was, you know, also Fire Island and sure. the white party and the black party. And we would travel to circuit events and go to Miami mm-hmm. for the the winter party at Vizcaya Mansion. I uh-huh. mean, that was probably the heyday sure. of not the heyday of New York nightlife, because I think that was the 70s and 80s. Yeah, but yeah. the heyday
1: of my nightlife right. years were the 90s. Right. I think that. Era of like big clubs like that doesn't really exist anymore, no, right? No, no. Yeah.
0: You know, that's really expensive to have that kind of real estate in New York City now. Yeah. And for some reason, that just kind of fizzled out. And after the Roxy closed, that was kind of it. But I remember going, you know, when I was 21, 22, 23, we had, um, I would go to the Pyramid Club on Friday nights oh, okay. downtown in the East Village. But I would see drag queens, like, misunderstood. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and sometimes I would talk to Rue about this. I'm like, did you go to the Pyramid Club? And he's like, yeah, and Debbie Harry would be there, and Madonna would be there. I kind of just missed that. Oh, okay. But I would still go, and it was grungy, and it was East Village, and yeah. there was a place called Boy Bar, uh-huh. and you would just dance and get sweaty, and you would drink beer or dollar margaritas. Yeah. It, was, it was inexpensive
1: and fun. Did you ever go to Squeezebox? Yeah, I went to Squeezebox, of course. Don Hills. Sure, yeah. It's come up a couple times in the yeah. show. I have an sh- episode with Michael Schmidt that's coming out right. sometime. Right. They had
0: a thing called Night of a Thousand Stevies, oh, where it was that's where all that about Stevie okay. Nicks. Yes. Yeah. And my costume uh, designer and my stylist and my everything on Queer Eye was a woman named Kitty Boots, and she worked the door oh, okay. at Squeezebox, and that was... That was an epic you know nightlife event, and sure. Beige was its own thing. Mm-hmm. What um, was
1: Beige's scene?
0: Beige was at Bowery Bar, and I think it was on Tuesday nights, and it was kind of the upwardly mobile gaze and, okay. you would, and a fashion crowd, and yeah. you know, fashion designers would be there. and uh-huh. you would, you know kind of wear your best what were we wearing back then? Like um uh, he had the logo and it was like a crown. Um, um, Todd Oldham. Uh, we would wear like okay. Todd Oldham Jean yeah, yeah, yeah. Meyer. And you would go there, and it was kind of early ish, and it was on a work night, but you would go like from nine to like midnight or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was out all the time, and I remember when I worked like for the Equestrian Federation. Yeah, it was before cell phones, I think. You know, it was like probably like ninety three sure. or something. Yeah, and I would go to the Palladium. The Palladium was still open, and it was the era of if Madonna calls, oh, tell her I'm not yeah, here. Yeah, and Junior Vasquez, and I go and dance. It was Sunday night. Yeah. And I had to work on Monday and there would be some rare (laughs) occasions where I would leave the dance floor Yeah. and at like six or seven in the morning, I would go outside of the Palladium, which is now a PC Richards, Uh and I would go to the payphone and I would call work and I would leave a message on my boss's voicemail. And saying, I can't come into work. I've today. come down with something awful I don't, I don't feel know. Good. You know, I'm like trying to muffle the sounds of cabs and like yeah, yeah. passers by. And then I would go back into the Palladium and oh, I would dance. wow. And I wasn't using drugs. I didn't really drink that much, but there was just so much energy. Yeah, sure. You know, everybody and, dancing. Yeah. And it yeah. was very communal. And I do think that's that's a missing thing now. And that was one of the great things. And there's a great documentary on Studio 54. I think it's on Netflix. Yes, it
1: is. Yeah, it's wonderful.
0: And they talk about how it was just a community of like, you didn't really know these people, but right. you knew their name was, you know, Cindy and Cheryl. Yeah. And you would see them out every week and right. you were friendly with them and they were part of your, your tribe. And we all just danced together and you'd be sweaty and having fun. I don't know if that happens anymore. Because it's not consistent. Like there right. are big events and there are these wee parties mm-hmm. and there's alegria and, you know, all those things. But I feel like those are almost like global events and people come from all over the world to go to them in New York. Sure. And it's not as much about our local, like, you know, our, our community that we would see out and about. Right, right. There's a cool place called Club
1: Coming. Do you ever go there when you're of in New course, York? Of yeah. course, yeah. yeah. Alan
0: Cummings in the East Village. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen really fun acts there and, you know, celebrity friends will have a fun little show there. Sure. And then um, Monday nights, Lance will play whatever right, anyone exactly. wants to yeah. um And he's so talented at the piano. He's and, amazing to watch. Yeah. Um, I've seen him play for, you know, lots of different celebrities. Yeah. And um, that's a really fun thing. So we have, we have those little places, but we don't have the big giant... Uh, clubs club usa had a sliding board that would go from like the second
1: floor <laughs> to the first floor yes you've never uh, actually been in a club like that i grew oh up in boston gosh, area yeah. and they had lansdowne street which had right, like an avalon or something yeah an avalon yeah, right yeah, yeah exactly. i've been to those okay they're yeah. like that
0: yeah but new york we did have the mega clubs and if you watch that studio 54 thing it's a little bit like that it wasn't quite as glamorous but the roxy was you know I feel like someone needs to do a documentary about what that was. Yeah,
1: that'd be fascinating. I would uh, love because to because it
0: was, it was legendary and iconic and really, a uh, uh, really something. When did that close? Do you know roughly? I would say around. Um, I think it was after Queer Eye first came out, so maybe around two thousand six. Oh, okay. Two thousand seven, sure. so two thousand eight. <laughs> I remember the last night, and I, and we all went, you, have, you know, because yeah. it was, uh, you know, it was an iconic place. Yeah. Um. I remember. One time I got a phone call, like through my publicist or something like uh, Beyonce is going to be performing a surprise concert at the Roxy. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to know, or her team wanted to know, if you would introduce her. And I was like, hold on, let me think about that. Yes. <laughs> and I have pictures I suppose, of me right? and her and Flotilla DeBarge, like oh, that wow. night. And they had all these drag queens that were dressed like Beyonce. <laughs> and then I come out on stage. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I don't think you're quite ready for this jelly. Uh let's bring out the real Beyonce. Uh And people are like, A, like, dude, like, why are you interrupting our (laughs) our jam right now? And B, who are you? And C, you're pulling our leg. And then like Beyonce comes out and slays. And that's what would happen at clubs. Like Madonna would show up there. You would be, it would be a regular Saturday night. It wouldn't be anything special and it wouldn't be promoted. And there'd be these surprise, you know, PR events that singers would do. And they'd perform live for their, for the, for the gays at the Roxy. And it was, it was a major, it, it was before we had social media. So it's literally a grassroots, like let's get the word out about how great this record is, sure. how great Beyonce is. And then the word would spread like wildfire because yeah, of how exciting. all the influencers were actually there <laughs> in person. Like yeah. they were actually in the flesh and, how you would influence would you'd be like, I just saw Beyonce at the Roxy. She
1: was amazing by this record. Yeah, right. Now, what do you think of social media? Because it's such a different world. Uh, I that. just
0: try to have fun with it. Yeah. I mean, I don't really, I've probably not harnessed it for what it's, you know, it's um business capabilities, but I, you know, I love Instagram because I love photos and yeah. I love photography Same and here. I love a snappy caption. So that's my social media of choice. I don't invest too much into it. Um and I don't get too wrapped up into it because yeah.
1: again it's not real. Well, that's I think the philosophy you were saying before applies uh, really perfectly to social media. Right, enjoy it for what it is. Yeah,
0: but. yeah. I don't. Um, it's wonderful. I you know I've done you know I've done some business with it and mm-hmm. it's fine. But I'm you know I don't have that many followers. I'm not that into it. It's great, and it's a great way to get the message out there. Yeah. One thing I think social media is amazing for, and, you know, people will sometimes come up to you and say, how do I, you know, I want to do a show on interior design. How do I do that? I'm like, just do it. Like, do it yeah. for YouTube. Like, think of your unique perspective. Mm-hmm. Make it as best you can, but nowadays you don't have to like move to New York or LA and like that's chase true. your dream. You can kind of do it yourself.
1: You can. Yeah. Um, and with, with things like for instance, podcasting, you can right, just start it up right. and you're able to control the means of production and yeah. everything else. And you
0: can do, I think we're always best when we're doing what, what our heart calls us to do yeah, what I we love so. to do. Um, So you can really tailor it to what you're all about, what yeah. you love, what you're good at. Mm-hmm. So that's
1: that's a really
0: great thing.
1: Sometimes people will complain about technology or the web. But I right. think, you know, the net good is a lot bigger than the net negative.
0: Yeah. And you have such a way of reaching people. Yeah. And, you know, if you can share important stories about, you know, how you overcome something or, sure. uh, you know, uh, an issue that's bothering you, you can you yeah. know, talk to people about it. You know, it's just like anything else. Everything is a double-edged sword.
1: True. And it has good and bad. That's true. Yeah. Because a lot of times on the show we talk about people overcoming things or working through confidence issues and all that. And um, both Brian and I have found, uh, too, about certain things we've shared on the show. You know, it's been like the more you reveal about the self, the more rewarding it is because it actually helps other people. It does. It does. Which is remarkable. And then that builds on itself, which is nice. Yeah,
0: you never know how you being authentic can help somebody maybe have an easier time with their life. Right. And really, there's nothing that's better than that. No, that's... People ask me all the time, like, what's the best thing about being on TV? Like, about being you know, on the original Queer Eye or working on Drag Race or whatever. And the best part is when you get either like a note from somebody or on Instagram or like, I've had people like pass me a note on an airplane saying, you know, I grew up in a really conservative household and we couldn't talk about being gay. And then my mom loved watching Queer Eye and we'd laugh about it. And it disarmed it, you know, the the tension and allowed me to have the conversation like, mom, I think I might be gay. Mm -hmm. And it made it easier. Right, and when you can make somebody's journey a little easier, and I hate the word journey on my <laughs> journey, but just there, if you can make their life a little easier, yeah. what a great thing it is! It's amazing, um, yeah, and what a uh, yeah, a blessing.
1: That's the best part. Do you love being on TV? It's a lot of fun. I,
0: I do, you know, I do. I, I, it's my medium. I love it. I and mean, You're um, very good on it, so yeah. You know. Thank you. You're I welcome. just. I'm I'm good on it when I'm doing something that I enjoy, and I've done some shows where it's not authentic to me, and I'm just like, oh my god, what am I doing? Oh, that
1: auto show, right? Yeah, one, yeah, when I
0: did Top Gear, <laughs> right? Um, right? No, actually, Look, I we love thought cars. you'd be the new host, and no, that was going to be great. Cars.
1: You know, well, one show I wanted to ask you about, <laughs> yes, because you were on the new Celebrity Apprentice. I right? was with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I. If it's online, I have to check out a couple of clips because it fascinating. You should check me. it out because yeah.
0: I actually that was one show that I actually excelled on, uh-huh. and I did really well. And I've done all kinds of reality shows. I yeah. mean, it's it's. I am not beneath. You know, people are like, oh God, he'll go to the opening of an envelope. I'm like, this is <laughs> what I do for a living, honey. Yeah, and I got bills. And if it's not, if I can be authentic, I there's nothing I'm ashamed of. No, right, exactly. Um, and from Dancing with the Stars to the new celebrity apprentice without yeah. Mr. You Know Who yeah. to uh uh you know, Survivor. Oh, you weren't Survivor? Uh, I did a, like a th- Australian version of oh, that okay. where I had to like live in a jungle and eat bugs. Um <laughs> All of those things, what's what's really the common thread is that you cannot hide who you are. Oh, true. Those circumstances, the pressure, the yeah. time constraints, the living with other people. Mm-hmm. You, If you are a fake and you put on a sunshiny attitude and you're not really like that, or you pretend to be like the man in charge and you're not really that, whatever uh, construct you're putting out there, that will be dissolved on those types of shows because you just have too much to do (laughs) and you're too stressed and the real you will come out. Yeah, that's a really good point, yeah. But I I, I really enjoyed working with Arnold and uh, I think he enjoyed me. And uh, Carson, why did you make that decision about when you went to the park with Harry Potter? Um,
1: See,
0: so, you know, I got to learn how to do an Arnold impersonation. Yeah, yeah so you uh, get a
1: lot from that uh, this But that I, episode, I, yeah.
0: I didn't realize, you know, my working at Ralph Lauren and my working yeah. at the U.S. Equestrian Federation, all those things prepared me to do really well on that show because a lot of people have only played professional football, which is an amazing thing. Yeah. But it gives you, you know, their life is very specific. Yeah. Or had only been an actress or had only been uh, a singer. And I... You know, through events, I ran fashion shows, I styled ad campaigns, I right. had to write, you know, legal memos and communicate
1: with exhibitors, and and also you had to hustle those trunks.
0: And the I had to, to hustle to Milan, those trunks to, to Milan. Yeah, so I knew about many different things: producing events, and communicating with people, and how to run a talk show. And right. it really served me well, and I enjoyed it. And yeah. uh, I love being entrepreneurial, and I, I I try to think always think like a business person, mm-hmm. and uh, I grew up in a family of like retailers my dad was a car dealer oh, so okay. yeah. I, I know about you know running a small business sure. and what that entails so i did really want well i really enjoyed it very stressful oh i can imagine i've yeah. never been on a show where people are gunning for you i've only <laughs> been on shows where it's a collaborative let's all do well yeah lift each other up But like yeah, yeah i had never you know i'm just like who stole my phone
1: <laughs> and of course another show where people could be gunning for each other right drag race yes And now working on that, you were on the the first season you were on regular was the first season Brian was on.
0: Yeah. Seven. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so what was getting into that? Like,
0: you know, this is a great, um, Hollywood lesson, I guess just a great life lesson. Like, I always say yes to a lot of opportunities. Sure. And there was a show called Skin Wars. It was on Game Show Network, and Rue was a permanent judge on it. Oh, right. And I was there one day as a guest judge, and he said, why haven't you done my show? I said, I don't know. I don't think anyone's asked me. (laughs) He's like, I think they have. And I was like, well, I would love to. And that planted that seed. I still have the voicemail of him calling me and saying, come on the
1: show. Do you keep a lot of voicemails, by the way? I love that.
0: I used to keep the cassettes. Yeah. I keep like my mom and like Rue and just milestone moments that i want to protect and um and that was season seven and uh it's just been such a wonderful show to be a part of i've been so um and again blessed again i you know it's like it's like journey um it sounds so like of the moment but i've been so fortunate lucky blessed the recipient of good karma to be part of queer eye which was groundbreaking in its own way certainly yeah and also another amazing queer show, which is RuPaul's Drag Race. And ultimately, the, the most gratifying thing is that young people get to see people that are maybe like them, that yeah. maybe are a little bit on the fringe or the perimeter. Sure. They see them being celebrated and right. being applauded for doing what they do mm-hmm. and, and being their authentic selves. And that's a really fun uh, exciting, kind gratifying of gratifying thing, magical thing yeah. to be involved with. So I can imagine, yeah. I am thrilled. I get to work with Rue. And you know, there's there's many things that make RuPaul's Drag Race special. Mm-hmm. RuPaul Charles, of sure. course. And it's from the, you know, from the top down again. Right. Yeah. That vibe. Our set is wonderful because he's wonderful. We have amazing producers mm-hmm. who come up with the most amazing You know, casting and challenges and production and the look of the show, and Zaldi, who makes those amazing costumes. And I get to work with Ross and Michelle. Sure. And then, of course, the Queens, who are the heart and soul, who are incredible. Yeah. And so, such artists Mm -hmm. and share so much of themselves. And I think the thing that's always uh, surprising is like, you can't prepare for the show when you come on it, like you watch it and you might <laughs> sure. be a fan of it. And even just being a judge, it's it's different than what you would expect. Right, Then when the camera
1: goes on. And I on. can't
0: believe like what it's like to be a contestant. I can only imagine, uh, The pressure right? sure. yeah. and the, you know, trying to do well and not getting in your head and just the stamina of like, you know, being on it and every day having to do something, like it's long hours.
1: Yeah, not that much sleep. Not that much sleep and you're sequestered and- and from uh, what I've heard, not the best backstage catering, but that's just the You a know rumor. what?
0: I have to say we have really good catering <laughs> now. So um, That's true. That's yeah. Um some things have, you know, gotten better as the show has gotten yeah, more successful. Sure. But it's really it's a pleasure to work on. I get to, you know, go see a fabulous drag show yeah. every day at work. Right. And then comment on it. Yeah. And I think I think that, you know, what I try to do, and I think all of the judges, we try to come from a place of you know, a good heart oh, and yes, not certainly. be mean and say, Listen, this is great, but um, bring more of you to it, or I would have changed this. I think we're really just trying to, you know, we are judges. Yes, we have to help. It's a competition. Well, we sure. have to narrow down the field. Yeah. But it's constructive criticism though. A part of it is saying, we want to help you get to the next phase. Right. Here's what a judge thinks will help you get there. Right. And the most successful queens are the ones that say, oh, okay, let me think about that. How do I make that happen? How yeah. do I deliver what's being asked of me? Yeah. Because that's, What the show is, it's deliver this challenge, do it well.
1: Yeah, which is essentially what's the gig? Do the snatch game, be funny.
0: Right. And I think what's really important to know is that all of those challenges are based on things that Rue has had to do in his career as America's most amazing number one drag queen. He's had to do TV commercials and ad campaigns and music videos and acting and all those things that the queens have to do on the show. You might not be good at all of them. (laughs) Yeah. None of us are good at all of them. Right. But do your best in all of them and, and and hopefully you'll
1: prevail. What are your feelings when you see the season and you see all the sort of backstage stuff that you don't see we don't when see, you're doing Yeah, your show? we don't see any of that. What what we see as judges is what is presented
0: on the main stage. Right. And then sometimes, you know, when you watch the season, you're like, I didn't know she was such a biatch, <laughs> uh, right. which I'm glad we don't see that yeah. because it would cloud our, I'm very much like I want nice people to win and succeed. Sure. So if I saw somebody that was either really a biatch or... or Maybe kind of crafted to yeah. be that way. Yeah, it would affect maybe how I how I adjudicate it. But we judge what's presented to us, sure. And it's not about how they get along with the other girls yeah. or or any of that backstory, which is makes for a very good television show. Yeah, but it 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 wouldn't serve us well, I think, as judges. We you know. If you are being judged on the runway tonight, then right. we're gonna
1: we're gonna talk about what we see on the runway. And right. That's that's what's gonna affect your fate. I guess it's like if a garment came in just by itself, you wouldn't want to know the story of how I, yeah, it was made the or the
0: backstory and all that. It's 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 interesting, but it wouldn't affect um, how I would
1: uh assess the garment right right well you know the tailor's a bit of a drinker you know that wouldn't really do much no 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 and i
0: think that's important because we're not judging their um we're not judging their personality etc we're judging what they were tasked to bring to the main stage exactly yeah and that's i think the fairest way to do it you guys have been taping a lot recently right yeah, I think they just announced the different um, seasons, right? I think so. I get confused. I'm always a so lot scared to, <laughs> to say, but I'm quite sure that I saw an Instagram post of Ruse that was talking about, well, there's a season coming out in England, Drag yes, Race UK. Yes, that's right, Drag Race UK.
1: And this show will come out in a couple of weeks. So, very yeah, soon.
0: Yeah. Um, and Drag Race UK, I think, is starting very soon. Yeah. And, oh, I
1: meant this episode I meant.
0: Okay. I think it was announced that there's a Drag Race All Stars 5 coming up yeah. and also a season 12 coming up. Exactly. So there's lots of good Drag Race TV on the plate. And then, of course, we have um, uh dragcon New York. Oh, if that's right. If you love Drag yeah. Race or if you just love um, a celebratory, fun, fantastical magical atmosphere with men women children drag queens and everything in between exactly um drag race is a really fun experience
1: i want to thank you so much for joining
0: me it's been a pleasure yeah hopefully
1: you come back another time i would love to fantastic thanks Carson. you're welcome 笑